We looked at this passage a couple of weeks ago, and I told you we would be back focusing particularly on uh, two more aspects of this. So this week and next week we will continue on in this passage. We're beginning with verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as wise, unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of a reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, as we approach this subject before us, as we approach your table, will you teach us, but even, even more than just teaching, we need more than information. We, we need to be drawn to you. We need to see your perspective and, and be sheltered from our own that would draw us away from you. And so, Lord, we ask for this, not because we deserve it, but we do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. Submitting to one another out of a reverence for Christ. Now, the moment you say that, if you, if you tomorrow at the water cooler, do they have water coolers anymore? at the coffee machine or the Keurig, whatever it is, in your office, if you went and people were talking about, what did you talk about in church yesterday? If you said, oh, we talked about submission, immediately, I promise you, there would be those that would roll their eyes and go, oh boy, here we go. Why is that? Well, I'm convinced it's because if they're rolling their eyes, they've either been wrongly taught or they have a misconception of what biblical submission is. Because if they really understood it, they would see the beauty in it. In our world, and and perhaps the person uh, that you're talking with out in, at your job or in your neighborhood. The tendency is to think of that as weakness or as losing. You know, you think of um, what's a submission hold? You know, you ladies, you watch UFC, right? In, in fighting or in, in wrestling. A submission hold is when somebody does something to another person and it's so painful 
that they want to tap out. They say, that's it. I submit. And, and what's that saying? I lose. I'm too weak. I'm weaker than you. Or you're stronger than me. We have, we have kids that are getting ready to graduate from high school, but especially those graduated from college, and some of them have been, been prepared in this way by being told, look, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. If you want to climb the corporate ladder, and then they're told how to do that. And submission is nowhere to be found from that perspective. It's seen as a weakness. In fact, how people measure their success is how many are underneath them and how few above them. Now that's the world we live in. But we have to understand that biblical submission is not that. So you need to, as much as possible, get that out of your mind and, and realize it's going to be something different. But you know what? This is nothing new. The disciples even grappled with that. Mark 9, verse 33. And, and they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Jesus knew what they were discussing. He wanted them to say it. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Do you see how radically different that is from it's a dog-eat-dog world and you got to you got to claw your way over everyone else in order to work your way up that corporate ladder if you are ever going to succeed. And so we're starting, we're starting from a, a position where most people are not going to grasp the, the beauty of submission, and they're going to see it as something negative. That's why we want to focus on that today. Contrast how the disciples acted with understanding this, that the biblical view of submission is positive and it's normative for those who are walking in the light. For those who are walking in Christ, submission should be a way of life. Now, if we begin with uh, a definition, the word itself is the idea of, uh, uh, like in, in the military, lining up under, under someone else with authority. Now, I realize even by saying that, some of you go, oh, well, that's, you know, that, doesn't, that doesn't make me feel any better about submission when I remember my days in the service. Again, we've, we've got to see what the biblical perspective Understand, look at, the reason we're still in this passage 
and addressing this verse is because it is at the tail end of the statement about being filled with the Spirit. So submission, first of all, is the natural outworking of being filled with the Spirit. He had said, uh, verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus, submitting to one another out of a reverence for Christ. So the one that is filled with the Spirit, that is walking in the light, ought to be submitting to one another out of a reverence for Christ, as, as Paul says. If you're filled with the Spirit, you'll be characterized by worship and thanksgiving and submission. Now, what makes me say it's beautiful and why is that why is biblical submission any different than what we described as the way people look at it in our world? Let me give you an illustration and using the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to give you two two words and they are in your outline so you don't have to worry about you know, writing it down or whatever. Uh, one is the ontological trinity. We're going to do a little theology here. So stay with me, and then we're going to apply it. Ontological trinity. Um, think the essence of the trinity, the, the being of the trinity, what, what the trinity really is, the existence of the trinity. In the Westminster Confession uh, a shorter catechism, it talks about that. It says, how many persons are there in the Godhead? Which means the Trinity. There are three persons in the Godhead. The Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. We usually say the Holy Spirit now. And these three are one, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. The same in substance, equal in power and glory. So here's what it's saying, and that's describing the, the being, the existence of the Trinity. What it's saying is this, that uh, in, in terms of being God, everything that it is to be God, the Father is. And everything that it is to be, be God, the Son is. And everything that it is to be God, the Holy Spirit is, and they are exactly equal. The same in substance, they're all the same. Equal in power and glory. Now, we usually don't think of it that way, do we? And that's because of the other term I want to give you, what we might call the economic trinity or the functional trinity how it works, because this is typically how we think. This ha has to do with how they function in their roles. So they're exactly equal in every way. However, we know that they have different roles, and in fact, what we see is uh, 
that you have the Father and then you have the Son that submits to the Father, submits to His will, and then you have the Holy Spirit that submits to the Son and the Father. And what the Holy Spirit does is not to draw attention to Himself, but He's always focusing upon Jesus. So that's the, the nature of the Holy Spirit, and, and that's their roles. Now, here's what I want you to take from that. This is the real, the real key. Equality of worth before God does not demand that we have the same roles in this life. I'm going to say it again. Equality of worth before God does not demand that we have the same roles. So, we've already, we established that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are exactly equal, but when they function, it's more like this. Father, Son, and Spirit. But we've already established they are this way. So, Having a role of submission does not mean you are less in any way before God. When it comes to people, it doesn't mean that you're less an image bearer before God. And we'll get into that when we talk about submission within marriage. Let me get even more specific. Christ is the example of submission. I'm going to give you three ways he is. Uh, first of all, the incarnation itself. In John 10, it says this, verse 42. Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Here's Jesus talking. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now we see that throughout Jesus' life. We see it uh, the night before his crucifixion as... They were preparing for the, the first supper, the last Passover. And Jesus took out, off his outer garments and he went around and began to wash the disciples' feet. And then he said, this is what you need to do as well. Now, for us, there are many other ways of serving. In our culture, the washing of feet is not what it was then. But he was showing by example what he had stated earlier in his ministry, that, that he came to serve. We think of submission in the garden. Him praying in the garden of Gethsemane. He put in a request. Father, will you take this cup from me? But then he submits 
His will to the Father's. He says, not my will, but yours. And he does it for our sake. Absolutely for us. You know, a few minutes after, after this, when they came to arrest him, and this is, this is essential for us to understand really who was in, in charge here, because some would, would see that submission as weakness. And so they come to arrest him, and who took out their sword? Yeah, Peter takes out the sword. And then what is Jesus' response to, to him? Don't you think that I could call 12 legions of angels if I didn't want this to be happening right now? A legion, 6,000. You know, we see one place where uh, you know, one angel wipes out uh, 130, 150,000 people in one day. <laughs> what do you think 6,000 could do? What do you think, you know, uh, 12 legions could do? Someone figured it out that they could have wiped out e everybody that was on the earth at that time. You see, Jesus was, was showing that this is not about weakness this submission to the Father was not, not because I'm weak. It's because I'm in the position of strength. And we see Jesus then submitting on the cross. Submitting to the perfect plan devised in the council of eternity by the Trinity and doing so for us. And I would say this, that submission on the cross, there's never been a, a time where the power of God has been shown any stronger than when Jesus was taking all of the, the sin of all of his people for all time upon himself. That's what that submission meant for us. Far from being something negative, God used willing submission to achieve our salvation. We should see submission in a different light. In a few weeks, we're going to look at the next section of Ephesians where we will see submission in our relationships. And I'll just give you a, a little preview because this is all connected. I see this verse as a transitional verse between uh, the section we just saw about being filled with the Spirit, walking in the light, and then, then all of the, the Scripture that talks about interpersonal relationships. Husband, wife, fathers and children, slaves and masters. He talks about all those. Now, again, one of the reasons your friends 
might roll their eyes is that they know what comes next is it says, wives, submit to your husbands. And that is there. And we will deal with that. But I want to tell you right up front, I am thoroughly convinced that this verse about submitting to one another out of a reverence for Christ is the umbrella verse that goes over all of those relationships that are about to follow. And so, yes, there is a a role where a wife submits to a husband, but there's also a way that a husband submits to his wife. Fathers and children, and what's so radical is children and fathers. And then slaves and masters, masters and slaves. Where everyone who is a believer is also in a position of submission. Submitting to one another out of a reverence for Christ. Today as we approach the Lord's table, I, I hope, I hope even in hearing about this submission that you are all the more convinced that, you know what, I don't naturally submit to other people. And the only way I can do this is by being filled with the Spirit. And this table, this table, first of all, we would not be celebrating the Lord's Supper if it had not been for the submission of Christ to the Father. And so, in in a very real way, we joyously celebrate what His submission accomplished for us. But the other thing is this table is for our strengthening. And so if, if you say, you know what, I'm one that rolls my eyes when I hear about submission because I, I, I really struggle with it. This is the table for you. To be strengthened, to be filled with God's Spirit. Instead of biblical submission meaning loss, Biblical submission was the reason for the victory of Christ. And that's what we celebrate in this table. This is how the Apostle Paul put it. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So we go to that latter part. Without discerning the body. Eating and drinking judgment on themselves. It's about living a life of repentance. It's not about 
being good enough to come to the table, you're not unless his robes have been exchanged for yours. So we, we come, we who are trusting in Jesus Christ alone, not in our own works, not in our own goodness. If you're trusting in yourself, don't partake. That's his warning. Because in essence, you'd be making fun of what Jesus uh, went to the cross for. But if you see your need, if you, even if you have discouragements, even if you have doubts, if you're trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, this is the table where you can be strengthened, where you can be enabled to be more and more filled with the Holy Spirit, not in any magical way, but as we commune with him by faith. Let's bow together. So, Lord, we would ask that you would take these elements and set them apart for their special use in these next few moments. We could have bought these. They could be in our, <clears throat> in our pantry at home. They are not magical. We want you to use them in our spiritual growth by faith. And so, Lord, we ask for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.